0: Congregation of Jesus Christ, we continue this morning looking at the life of King David. And the Bible here honestly records the sins of his people. The Bible states the facts and draws out the lessons about many truly awful things. The Bible does so to warn us against temptation and sin, and also and especially to declare God's grace when it says here at the end, Nathan replies, The Lord has taken away your sin. The Lord has taken away your sin. Amazing. We're going to look at this account, uh, tying back to chapter 11, which has most of the details of what actually happened. We see here, however, in 2 Samuel 12, Nathan speaking to King David after David has sinned. Last Sunday, we heard Nathan speaking to King David, speaking a tremendous word of blessing. These are the only two times that we hear Nathan speaking. The one time, 2 Samuel 7, with God's blessing, establishing David and God's saying to David, I will do things for you, great and glorious, and no matter what, I will work in and through you. And it has the sense of no matter what. God promises in 2 Samuel 7, despite all the weaknesses that may occur, but now they have occurred. And the question is, will God, will God continue to... To establish David's house. Because we would, we would have the sense too, it's fine for people to say to us, if you're good, I'll be good to you. Or for God to say to us, if if you're good, I'll be good to you. But But what if we are bad? If others are bad to us, we're not going to be good to them. What about God? And especially when David is bad, really bad. And so to highlight first of all, How bad is David? You be the judge. Nathan asks David to judge the bad man in the parable. You judge. How bad is David? In 2 Samuel 7, the account begins, or 2 Samuel 11, one chapter earlier, the account begins why Nathan has to come and speak to David. In 2 Samuel 11, David begins by... By being very selfish. He has his palace, all is well, and he is feeling too some pride, and, and he is thinking too, I don't really need God anymore. He has arrived, like us a little bit, so blessed in our culture. We don't really need God. David is at that point. Then he is specifically disobedient. It says in 2 Samuel 11. During the time that kings go to war, and David is king, and he's supposed to go to war with his army. His army is at war. He stays home. He is disobedient to being a king. He is sinning against the fact God made him king to lead the army, to lead the people. He is a sinful, bad king. It mentions that he is lazy. It says specifically into Samuel 11, He is lying down in the evening. uh, More to sense, not at night going to bed, but just lazing around after supper, doing nothing. And in that sense of idleness, laziness, temptation comes. And that's a reminder for us too. Often if we are idle, if our hands are idle, if we are just wondering what to do, we get into trouble. Better to be busy with the work of the church and the kingdom. You resist much temptation. There's also the sense of self indulgence, the sin of self indulgence, wondering what more he can have instead of being thankful for what he has. And that comes out in the story as Nathan speaks to him too, as God says to him, I gave you all this and I would have given you more. And what about us too? Yeah, we have been given a lot, but we want more. And and David is in that sin of greed and self-serving. And he's careless. He allows his eye to wander and lust enters in. In James 1, verses 14 and 15, James reminds God's people, Each one is tempted when by their own evil desire... They are dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. We see that unfolding here. David's sin is is given birth through his his carelessness, giving in to the temptation. He surrenders uh, to the sin of adultery with Bathsheba. He could have resisted. He could have resisted the temptation. It's not a sin to be tempted. All of us are tempted. There is no... Uh, that reality is there, but he could have turned to God's word, which helps us to resist temptation. The law. Do not commit adultery. David knew the law. There it is. Note more so even, when, when David, David thinks that he might want to be with this woman, he asks, who is she? And he finds out who she is. And by God's grace in fact that that should have struck him. Because it says that as he asked who is she then it says in 1 Samuel 11 verse 3 that she is Bathsheba the wife of Uriah. Uriah? Well, well, partly too. He's, she's married. So in that sense too he has no Blame on her, Uriah is one of David's 30 bodyguards. David, as king, has bodyguards, and the 30 guys who are ready to give their life for him at any moment, one of them is Uriah. Oh, that's Uriah's wife, the wife of a guy who is ready to die for you. David doesn't care. And then, if he thinks about it a little longer, she, Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, is the granddaughter. Her grandfather is a man named Ahithophel. Well, who is Ahithophel? Well, David knows who Ahithophel is. He is the top advisor to David. When David wonders, should I fight here? How should I go there? What should I do? He asks Ahithophel. And Ahithophel's wisdom and advice is is the most precious thing. David respects it completely. As God working through Ahithophel, leading him. And David is looking at this woman, who is the granddaughter of Ahithophel, his advisor, and the wife of Uriah, his, his trusted bodyguard. How big a sin is this? It's not off of someone who cares. It's, it's Bathsheba. And this is, is what David is confronted with. He doesn't care. He is sinning that is dragging him away, and the desire is conceived, and it gives birth to death. David is also abusing his position of authority as king. She cannot refuse his demands. And so sin is evident in every aspect of David's actions. So when Nathan comes to confront David of sin, this is sin. If we had to judge, we would see how David sins against God, against his role as king, against a citizen who should be under his protection against a faithful soldier, a faithful advisor, and we would judge that he should die. You add to that yet the sin of covering up Bathsheba's pregnancy. Instead of of confessing his sin, he tries to cover it up, and that's so common with us too in sin. The first reaction, try to cover it up. So his, his response to the fact that Bathsheba is pregnant, he tries three times to uh, get the, the problem fixed through Uriah. And, and between, between those three times, the final one, he has him murdered. Murder is a sin. The sixth commandment. And so he does that. Though Uriah is proved more faithful, more godly, even as David attempts to subvert him, Uriah will not be moved from a faithfulness to God. And this should be an example to David. Why is this guy so faithful to God? Why am I so unfaithful to God? Let's it go. Doesn't phase him. It says even in 2 Samuel 11 that David decides to have Uriah murdered and, and he has Uriah bring the letter, a letter that David writes to Joab, the commander of the army. He, David writes a letter, seals it, gives it to Uriah. In the letter, David's evil plan is there. Put Uriah at the front lines so that he will be killed. But David knows Uriah will not, will not look at that letter. Uriah is a man of integrity. You can take advantage of people with integrity. How does David ever do that? Uriah is carrying his own death sentence. David doesn't care. That is so wrong. The whole picture premeditated, calculated evil. And then at the very end, in 2 Samuel 11. It says too, after Uriah is dead, then then David puts on a front and he waits about a week until Bathsheba has officially mourned for her dead husband. And then David uh, asks for her to come and marry her. Oh, what a nice, what a nice thing to do. And everybody, everybody who sees it would think too, not knowing his plotting against Uriah, not knowing the sin that's all there. They would say, oh, look, look, our king, King David, so kind, so gracious. His bodyguard dies and he just takes the wife in as security and, and he will care for her. What a great guy. So, so man, David's sin is, he comes out looking, ha, huh, looking amazing. And, and that does happen. And we sometimes, too. We manipulate and maneuver and, and get things worked out and and by golly nobody knows and boy I'm I'm just doing okay. I got away with that. Sin isn't a problem for me. I can handle this God sin thing. It's it's the story comes to that point, and at that point. As David is even thinking that way, then Nathan comes. The sense of there is no getting around the fact that though we can cover things up, we can manipulate, we can plot, we can abuse and hurt others, that the secrets will come out. And David gets found out. When it comes here in chapter 12, the Lord sent Nathan to David. Uh, how long has it been? David has done all these things and he is now with Bathsheba and the thought, the thought is it's been a year. About a year has passed. And it, there is the sense David has struggled with his sin. Psalms 32 and Psalm 51 are psalms that David wrote during this time, but he hasn't said anything or, or made it right or confessed or anything. And, and so it's been about a year. And in that reality, we can see God too being gracious to a sinner, giving him time to repent, to make things right. And the Bible talks also about uh, God's God's even waiting now that God doesn't come back in Jesus right now. That God is graciously waiting for people to repent. And God does that. That's a sign of his grace. But at a certain point, Nathan comes to confront David. David has refused to sincerely repent. And sin leads to death. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6, 23. So when finally God sends Nathan, David is still in denial. And he's quite dangerous. So when we begin reading here in chapter 12, then in confronting the sin, Nathan is afraid that David is going to add to his sin and even kill David or kill Nathan. David is still hiding the truth. Like Samuel was threatened by evil Saul years ago, now David is as evil as King Saul. He has such a twisted mind. He has an evil spirit. And so Nathan rightly feels threatened. David could take that sword of Goliath and cut off Nathan's head right there because the only one who knows is Nathan. And if he's dead, then I'm still safe. Nathan knows the kind of sinful pressure that, that is in David that gets in us too, hiding sin. So Nathan, by the wisdom of God, speaks more generally and he uses a tendency that we have to more easily see the sin in others than in ourselves. You notice that? The gift we all have. Boy. We can see the sin in others just like that. That's not right. That's not good. Oh, I would never do that. And so that tendency, a weak human tendencies, is used by God. And Nathan presents the story of the evil man and the poor man. And David is a good judge. As king, he's accustomed to judging and administrating justice. So as Nathan tells the story, David pronounced a judgment, and it's a correct judgment in terms of the evil man, the sin, the wages of sin is death. And even four times over, he, he would pay four times. Later on, David, David loses four of his children as a result of this sin. Nathan confronts David with his sin. The statement in the account when Nathan says to David, You are the man. Because David asks, Who is this man? And Nathan says, You are the man. Amazing. It's just shocking. That, That sense of Striking, convicting, you are the one. The most striking phrase in this passage, and it it comes back to all of us. Who is the sinner? We judge everyone around us. But I am. I am the sinner. You are the sinner. Who has done wrong? Oh, he has, she has. No, you have. You are the man, the woman. We often point out how others fail, God and each other. Well, you fail. You have. You are the one. And somehow in God's grace, David finally stops denying it. And the question arises right away too, when will we here today, stop denying our sin against God and against others? That's the kind of question that arises. And then it comes back to how did Nathan actually say this phrase, you are the man? Did he say it quietly? Just quietly, with a... Like even even too after David's whole, who is this evil person, and he should pay, and he should puny be punished. And then Nathan could have be been nodding, and then just very quietly say, "You, you are the man." It's so sad. This great king, who could have done so much for it, it's terribly sad. And maybe maybe that's what got through. Or maybe he said it to just just very much to you are the man you are under arrest you have been found out very matter of fact you are the man and then the, the response of david too oh i i have been found out and that's just authority of god just a straight statement of authority or perhaps perhaps loudly and if if it was loudly, then, then it would almost be out of Nathan's own fear that he's still not sure how David will respond. And that he would really have to try to get through. You are the man. You are the man. Hoping, hoping, maybe David will admit it. That somehow, and, and God knows, and Nathan presented it in a way that David confessed. It's only by God's grace that David bows to the authority of the word of God through Nathan. He didn't have to. could have cut off his head, dragged him on, kept going. But he confesses his sin. That's the transition, the transforming place. But it's not easy, and it has consequences still. Sin has consequences. That one act of David leading to all the others has serious consequences. The lie of sin that we so often take in is that it has no consequences. Ha! Sin has no consequences. Do what you like. doesn't matter. Everything will be fine. That's a lie. Consequences are there. And sin has the consequence of death. And so you see, in terms of the death of Uriah, the faithful husband to his wife, the faithful soldier to the king, you have the death of this child. child is not named, but as a consequence of sin, the son born to you will die. And then later on in the story of David, and we'll see that, who Amnon, his son, his oldest son, is killed by his third oldest son, Absalom. And then later on, Absalom is killed. And then later on, Adonijah, four of David's sons, die in the consequences of sin. Sin has its consequences. But even there, we don't end there. And the story doesn't end there because God's grace is there. And beyond even the sense of you are the man is Nathan's words. The Lord has taken away all of that sin. All of that sin that has been wearing and burning in David deep down. And that sense of God's grace, the reality that though we sin even terribly, that sin is covered by God's grace, not by us covering it up. Oh, I've sinned. I've got to cover it up. That never gets you anywhere. And so the whole picture of David covering up shows how pointless that is. But when God's grace is declared, when people confess their sins, I can't cover it up. I'm not going to cover it up anymore. I confess before God and others, I'm a sinner then God's grief covers that sin. That's a powerful truth that we need to take hold of as we struggle in sin ourselves, as we get tangled up in lies and deceit at times, and, and it's just not good, and it, we know it's not good. To confess, for sins are, are killing us. Things kill those things we love and things around us, and our relationship with God, our Father, so the, the, the picture is of confessing sin and receiving God's grace. The reminder for us this morning that in our sin, God's grace triumphs as we put our hope, our trust in Him. And you see that as well. In the life of David, God continues to use David and the grace of God shines forth even in David as he goes forward from here. And that gets shown most specifically in 2 Samuel 12, the end of the chapter, where God graciously blesses David and Bathsheba with a child, with a son, with Solomon. Solomon is the child of that sinful mess. If God is going to give a child to any one of David's wives, it should not be Bathsheba. It is. Because your sins are covered. God's grace is more than our sin. And that reality is what Nathan comes, and in that he brings an even more beautiful message than he did in 2 Samuel 7. You think in 2 Samuel 7 he came with a nice message that God would establish David and, oh, good and great and wonderful and fine. But his message here Is even better that we in our sin can take hold of God's grace. And we see that in Jesus Christ. And that's our center, our hope as we go forward in life seeking to serve him in all we do. Amen.